Good morning. I stand before you this morning somewhat trembling. That song that we sang from every stormy wind I think was spirit directed. I don't think Ryan had any clue what I was going to talk about. I greet you in the name of Jesus, the one who desires to be your captain. There's a verse found in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, This is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. God is desiring to be our captain. And he will guide us. The question needs to be asked, Is he your captain? Or is he your co-pilot. The pilot of a ship or an airplane has a very crucial job. They need to steer, they need to control. Ultimately, they need to get that vessel or craft to its destination. In a couple months, we will be boarding an airplane and without a shadow of doubt in my mind, I'm convinced that we will end up where we want to go. And that is by me putting trust in the pilot's hand. I'm just going to tell you a story. I just came across this story. It happened back in 2002. Maybe some of you remember it, but I don't. And that might be because that was a year I was madly in love, and I might have missed it. Happened in October. It was Flight 85. It was an airline or an airplane, a flight out of Detroit heading to Tokyo. It's a 747, and they were en route, cruising at 35,000 feet. They had a crew of four pilots and co-pilots and it was their job to get this plane from this side to that side and they were out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the Bering Sea cruising along and they had switched positions the senior pilot gave the controls over to the other pilot and his co-pilot they went back to retire and get rest and the other pilots were going to take the plane on and continue their trip into Tokyo and land. They no sooner got into their cabins and were getting comfortable, all of a sudden the plane made a sharp left turn. And the senior pilot thought, that's kind of strange because we had it on autopilot, the straight shot between here and there. He thought to himself, that's kind of unusual. So he started getting ready again. And about that time, the chimes went. And there's a communication link between the cockpit and the cabin that they were in, saying, Get up here immediately. We need you. So the senior pilot, he and his co pilot, make their way up. <coughs> and they find sitting at the controls a pilot with the wheel turned strong one way. And they could see by his legs that he was pushing the pedals for all his work. 
thought, that's kind of strange. What's going on? He said, we don't know. Something happened here with this plane. And we don't know. So the four of them, they pulled the manual out and they started searching through the manual to try and find out what do you do in an emergency like this. Of course, there was nothing in the manual in regards to that. So they, the senior said, well, since I'm the senior, and it appears to be that this is a strange situation, he said, do you object if I take over the controls? The pilot was flying and said, absolutely not. You can have the controls. So in the meantime of transitioning, the co-pilot had to take over the controls and do the same thing. Steer hard to the, the right, I think it was, and keep the plane going straight while the pilot left go. Moved out of his seat and the senior came in and then he had to transition himself into the same thing. They were out in the middle of nowhere, no radio contact. They did manage to radio another Northwest airline that was some miles behind them saying, can you, be can you radio back to Anchorage, Alaska that we have an emergency and we need to do an emergency landing if we can make it. So they relayed the information back. and So in the meantime, they, uh, the plane would only turn left. They got the plane turned around. We're heading back to Alaska, out in the middle of the sea. They, <coughs> they got on the phone with uh, Head Honcho in Minneapolis that works on these planes. And he too did not know what was wrong. But he gave them some important tips. He said, if you do make it to Anchorage, he said, bear in mind that your rudder pedals, when you're using them, also control your nose wheel. You're going to want to be mindful of that when you set that plane down, that wheel is going to be turned. So he said, you're going to have to let go of that rudder as soon as you hit. So you'll have to grab your tiller and turn that wheel and try to keep that plane straight. And that was a very crucial because I'll, I'll get to that later. But they also wanted to try a few other things. They they were, they were up at high altitude, a lot less air pressure. This plane was crippled, and they didn't know how it was going to fly once they got down to lower altitude where the air is heavy. So they decided to fly at 17,000 feet, get down to where it transitions into heavier air, and see how it handles. So they're flying along, get down there, everything's good. Okay. Now, in Anchorage, Alaska, the runways there are not very... Uh, conducive to flying. One end of the runway there's a ravine, the other runway there's mountains and it's open at the other end and they said what's your options? And they chose runway number six and uh, they said we only have one chance. We're going to get it right the first time. We're not going to go around. We've got to get it right. So they come in, landed right over set it right down on the, the landing spot, had the auto braking set as high as it was allowed to be set, and they hit the reverse thrust, and instantly the plane wanted to swerve. And they left go of the rudder, of course the rudder was still sitting in its position, and uh, they were able to get that plane stopped. The control tower came over and said, boys, that must have been a rough ride. You're going to have to take a look at that tail when you get to your gate. 
So when they get to the gate, Pilate said, boy, I said I would have paid anything to have a rear view mirror to see what's going on back there, but he didn't. He got out and he went back and he looked at the plane and here the rudder is sitting at a 35 degree angle. And on that plane, because it was such a big plane, they had the rudder split in two pieces. So with the rudder bottom half was turned at a 35, they were using the top one to divert. If it had been a smaller plane, it would have been one single rudder, they'd have been done. So they did a good job at steering that plane and making it back to land. Those passengers that had got on that plane that morning had no clue what was going to happen that day. They were flying up above the clouds, the sun was shining. They were planning to be in Tokyo, but they ended up in Alaska. I ask you again, is Jesus your captain? Are you climbing aboard and giving your life into his hands, trusting him that you will arrive at your destination? Now there's a story I wanna I wanna look at in the Bible, and then you can find that in Mark chapter six. It's a very familiar story. It's one that we probably heard when we were children. Mark chapter 6, verse 45. I'm going to read verses 45 to 56. Mark chapter 6. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent the people. Prior to this, they had the feeding of the multitude, the 5,000. So Jesus is sending his disciples back across the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we're breaking in here. And when he had sent them away, he departed unto Mount, verse 46, to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. And when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. For they considered not the miracles of the loaves, for their hearts were hardened. And when they had passed over and came unto the land of Gethsemane, and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship straightway, they knew him. I'm going to stop there. I had I had to read verse 56, but that, that's wrong. I'm going to stop there. But um, <clears throat> these men, these disciples of Jesus, were seasoned fishermen. They were familiar with this. I call it a lake. They call it a sea, the Sea of Galilee. I'd say it's between... It's a large lake, maybe a, a small sea. Um, but this this sea, this lake, was unique in its in its with the land around it. Squalls could come up fast, wind could come up, and could make it very rough out there. It, at the widest spot of the Sea of Galilee is eight miles. You can see the other side. 
I had the privilege of taking a little motorboat out on a ride out there, and just for kicks, we thought maybe we could see if we'd go to the other side. We didn't. We didn't. Ha we didn't rent the boat long enough to do that. But we got a good ways out there, and uh, you know that lake is deceiving. It looks bigger than what it is. Yeah, I mean, it looks smaller than what it is. So here are the disciples. They had a big day. They had a big outreach. They had fed 5,000 men food. They were tired. They were exhausted. They wanted to get back home and go to bed. Jesus could have made clear sailing for them. He could have made the, the way go home, get some rest, sleep, rest. There was one more lesson that Jesus wanted to teach them. Those verses we read, it mentions that they were straining at the oar. Now when it gets windy, swells get big, it's important to keep a boat going into those swells. You don't want to get sideways for fear of rolling it. Plus you probably get sick faster. So I don't know if these swells were big and they were trying to keep the boat straight with the straining at the oar or if it was just that they just weren't making much progress. The wind was blowing against them. But either way, it was rough. It was rough sailing. I'm sure they were probably a little bit frustrated. They were ready to be back on shore. You know, sometimes I know personally some of the worst things in nature are wind. And when you're trying to do something and it just doesn't go right, it's easy to get agitated. It's just like, Ugh, can't do it. Did they still have the confidence in themselves that they were able to do it? Had they not totally put their confidence in Jesus? Here they had witnessed a miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had not proven himself to them of taking a small lunch and feeding that many people. How often do I sell out for less? I can let Jesus take the controls and bring calm into my sea. Jesus prior to this also went up into a mountain to pray. I find that very important. Jesus desires a relationship with us. Are we sold out completely to Him? There's an important truth here. God sometimes takes us into situations, storms, trials, fire, whatever you want to call it, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And it causes us to be anxious because of its uncertainty. We just had prayer here before the message, and there's two families that are going through what I would call somewhat of uncertainty. And you can probably think of others. 
Some storms are physical. Some storms are spiritual. What does the radar look like when a natural storm is coming? I usually pull up the radar to track to check its track and to track and to check the intensity of it. If I hear that there's going to be winds of 60 miles per hour or more, it's time to button the hatches up and get ready. As airplanes fly, they also have radar. And usually will fly around these storms to give a smoother ride for their customers. I'm told that turbulence in the air makes for a rough ride. And for passengers, that can be alarming. For number one is your coffee usually gets spilled. And number two, maybe the passengers are afraid the wings are going to fall off. But for the pilots, this is normal. They're talking about the orange juice they have for breakfast. This is, this is just normal. Air turbulence in the air is always there. There's certain strengths of turbulence, and they have to be mindful of that. But I had a plane ride one time, this one that I remember very well, that it was a smaller plane, so that obviously the turbulence, the air currents affected a lot greater than a bigger plane. But we were flopping around the sky like you wouldn't believe it. I mean, we hit these air pockets, and we would just drop. And I mean, I don't know how far we dropped, but it was just like, I mean, your stomach was up in your mouth, and then next thing you're just back up again. And the stewardess tried three times to come out and serve drink, and she would no sooner get out and boom, and it was a mess. She finally gave up, and we didn't get any drink except for the first three rows, I think. It's going to get rough. Our ride will get bumpy. Sometimes we'd like to fly around and avoid some of life's storms. But we have to put our confidence in the captain. And yes, it will get bumpy and scary. But what other better options are there? Jesus did not promise a smooth sailing but he promised that he will be beside us. And it's that peace that we can have in that storm. Do you think the disciples were wishing that Jesus was with them as they were out there toiling, straining on the oar? Had they even given him a consideration, a thought? If Jesus would just be here It'd be different. I'd have to think that maybe they weren't because also reading there it says they saw what appeared to be a ghost. Now did Jesus shield himself a little bit so that he would test them? Because it mentions that they saw him. They saw what appeared to be a ghost. Also I thought it was interesting that it mentioned that it was almost like Jesus was going to walk past them. Was Jesus testing them a little more? The disciples there thinking, you know, this is bad. We're rowing for all we're worth. I mean, is this the end? The disciples seemed to notice that it was a spirit and they were troubled. 
didn't stop there Jesus calls out to them and says be of good cheer it is I be not afraid how calm is that to our storm Jesus entered the boat in a great calm I don't know what that was like if you were a meteorologist you would just have to say that was amazing how could the wind just Jesus can and that was I don't know if I can say that was a lesser degree but you know sometimes we think we are in great in a great trouble or a great storm and it can it can be bad and it can be really uh, alarming but if Jesus is there there is going to be a calm it will be noticeable that calm that Jesus gives will be noticeable the US Air Force 53rd weather reconnaissance squadron based in Biloxi, Mississippi is known to be hurricane hunters its mission is to fly into tropical storms and to gauge the strength, the power, the track, the potential movement. There's no avoiding this potent storm. It's their job to fly into it. Hurricanes can have winds of excess of 200 miles an hour. So can you imagine a plane flying into that? There is much to be learned by flying into a storm. You think the plane that squadron would be able to dictate the path of that storm the strength of that storm if they flew around the edge of it no they got to fly into it but you know what's interesting about that is as they're flying it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and all of a sudden they punch through the eye wall and it's just calm the sun is shining That spot is tranquil in the middle of a storm. All around, every direction you look, is turmoil, wind swirling, rain swirling, clouds swirling. But in the middle, there is calm. Just as the hurricane has an eye in its storm, so do the storms that we face. Jesus there with us I'd like to use the analogy that he's like that eye that eye of the storm he brings peace we need to sometimes experience these storms in order to appreciate his grace his underlying love his commitment to truly work all things out for good to those that love him Faith in Christ, trust in Jesus, does not develop in a sterile vacuum or some imaginary bubble. It is forged through the fires of adversity, and God allows that us to pass through them so that we can be tested. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. 
verses 3 through 5. Romans 5, verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hopeth maketh not ashamed. <coughs> because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Do we rejoice in tribulation? It lays it out here. Tribulation worketh patience. Patience, experience. Experience, hope. And hope in God because He loved us. Sometimes when we're in the heat, in a storm, We tend to grumble. We tend to complain. We tend to, let's get this thing over with so we can move on. Get through it as fast as we can. Get back to normal life. And we fail because we did not learn the lesson. Ultimately, Jesus would love to drive us to our knees in times like these. also interesting going back to Mark the account there of the disciples struggling that they hardened their hearts you know did they not recognize the, what Jesus could have done you know taking the little lad's lunch and feeding that many people they missed it they didn't get it. Their hearts were hardened. So are ours. We don't understand about the loaves either. At least sometimes. This miracle of feeding the multitude, the little boy's lunch proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus can meet our needs no matter what. Jesus did not leave them in the dark long. He says, take courage, don't be afraid. The frightened sailors panic, turn from relief to hope. Jesus' presence was an antidote to their terror. And it is ours as well. Life is full of situations that are terrifying at first glance. And we can get consumed about, about that. And it worries us. Because we don't know what the future holds. The disciples had had several mountaintop experiences with Jesus and their Master. But when the storms came... Fear took over. The winds were blowing, the waves were hitting the boat, and they failed to recall the lesson that they had learned. 
tough times come, do we forget our knowledge of God too? We struggle to recall past answers to prayer, specific guidance provided by the Holy Spirit, lessons learned in previous crises. Only the present seems real. Our minds spin with future implications and our troubled emotions inhibit us from clear thinking. I have a few lessons that I think we can learn from storms, dark moments, trials that we face. And you could probably add more. First lesson that I think we can learn that comes from that is it brings... A storm or a trial can bring cleansing. Because of our human nature, sometimes these storms help bring us bring to the surface the impurities that are in us. And the big one is self. Storms have a way of destroying the big macho self. You can be all tough and say, I can handle this. I don't need anybody. And it can be a lonely ride. And a very fearful ride. Just like metal goes through a fire to bring out the impurities to the surface, I think storms and trials in our lives can bring to the surface the impurities that we can be made more perfect. Second lesson, I think, that we can learn from storms is it helps us to be more compassionate toward others what God does in our lives is not solely just for us but it's so that we can reach out to the world to those that need care need hope we know when a person really cares it may be by what they say it may be by what they don't say Also, their body language will complement their caring attitude as well. Third lesson, it strengthens our dependence on God. God promises us a path through any storm we face. Most of you probably have either heard or read the poem Footprints in the Sand. That poem illustrates a point where a person noticed in his life his tracks were in the sand and there was two sets of tracks. But at times he noticed that there was only one set of tracks. And he was asking God, I thought you promised that you would be with me all the time in my life. And God replied, well, you see those one set of tracks, those are the times that I had to carry you. disciples thought they were alone in this terrifying storm I don't know if it was a terrifying storm or not when they spotted Jesus their fear increased they thought it was a ghost but as they recognized him their fear changed to relief and hope 
Turn to Psalms 118.6 Here is a promise. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? Then I'm just going to page back to Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For ye have said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Also, there's an account of Paul in Acts chapter 27 where he faced a storm. I have four different types of storms. There are the normal storms, the natural ones that affect us. There's going to be one affecting us tomorrow, at least what that's what the weather forecast predicts, a major winter storm. There's storms in the summer. Those are the natural ones that affect us. And in Matthew 5, verse 45, there it talks about how God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. We have to simply live with those storms. Those storms are a part of our life. Then there are the storms that we make by our own foolish mistakes and dis disobedience. Remember what happened to Jonah? He tried to run away from God. He ran the other direction. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 talks about him fleeing going the opposite direction and a great storm coming. There are the storms that God sends to promote growth. The illustration is given of a, of a forest where you cut the trees down and you leave half of them stay. Sometimes big storms come along and lay the rest of the trees down. Why is that? It's because the ones that were around them were protecting them. They had got used to the winds and were removed, and the ones in the center did not have the growth that they needed to handle the storm. So God sometimes has to send storms to strengthen us, to promote growth. Then there are the storms that we get dragged into by other people. And that's what happened to Paul in Acts 27. He was a prisoner. He was taken prison, prison and was getting moved to Rome. And he warned the sailors not to sail. But they didn't listen. And ultimately a storm affected them. I don't know what kind of storms each of you are going to face next week, next month, next year. 
But I'm certain that we will face some storms. But the sun will shine again. And sometimes when the sun shines, there's a rainbow. And again, that's God's promise that He'll be there with us. Let Jesus into your boat with you. Invite His calming presence into your crisis. Trust Him to deliver on His promises. The better you know the Lord, the better we can trust Him. Then stand back and be completely amazed at what your pilot, your sailor, can accomplish in the midst of life's storm. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 107. Here's a psalm that illustrates Psalms 107 verses 23, 32. They that go down to the sea in ships and do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth and raises the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distress. He maketh the storms a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for the wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. At the start, I asked, Is Jesus your captain or your co-pilot? If he is your co-pilot, I recommend you switch seats. Let's kneel for prayer.